Well, good morning. How's everyone today? I'm going to need that. Kelly, can you throw me that mic real quick? Yeah, please. You can just throw it. That's good. I'm just kidding. Well, it's good to see you guys. God is really, really, really good. Um, during worship, I have to say God spoke to me, um, and it was powerful. And I, I think this could be an encouragement and a challenge, both an encouragement and a challenge. As I was, I was um, just um, seeking him, he said, I just, I said, what are you doing, God? This, he answered, he said, I just want my people to worship me. I just want my people to worship me. And he, I just had this picture in my mind of, um, in Revelation, it talks about the, uh, the angels worship him, the, the, the four living creatures worship him, the elders, they have these thrones, but they don't even sit on them because they're down on their faces worshiping him, you know? I mean, all of heaven is like enthralled by this God that we talk about. And sometimes I, I, I get challenged because I need, to, I need to encourage myself to be enthralled by him, you know? That's what worship is. It's really choosing it's not based upon the setting. It's not based upon the quality. It's not based upon our favorite worship leader or not. It's based upon the one that we are worshiping, you know? And I, I just, I, I heard him say, I just want my people to worship me. And there's something powerful that happens when we do, you know? It, it's, he is the one that's worthy of all of our praise. He's the one that's worthy of all of our adoration, and we live in a time and a day where it's so easy to be distracted, so easy to, you know, we, you, you ever hear of the squirrel, squirrel principle, you know, where, where you're sitting there having a conversation, all of a sudden squirrel, and it, <laughs> you just, we're just so distracted. But I, I just felt like he was saying to me, about me and about us, he values our worship. He values our attention, our focus. He values our hearts and what's going on inside of our hearts. So take that for what it is. Um, it was a challenge to me. And I hope that we can find time in our own personal lives to just love up on God, you know, to just look to him and tell him how amazing he is and how much we love him and how much we appreciate all he's done for us. And... Um, so that's that. And I want to also just welcome someone, a, a longtime friend of the House of Faith Chapel. Her name is Monica Karagosian. I want to have Monica come up. So some of you may not know Monica because it's been a long time she's, since she's been here. She's fallen off the wagon. And... Uh, <laughs> No, Monica was here for years. She went through the first, very first school of ministry with my wife and I and several other people that are here in this room. And she felt a call to Guam. Now, I didn't know if that was a call in the flesh or a call in the spirit, but she went to Guam, okay? I'm just messing with her. She's amazing. Actually, she was working for the U.S. Post Office. She transferred to be down there to, do, to serve as a missionary and to, to help the ministry, we, we had a connection with Rob and Allison Zimmerman and their family. 
and she went and served there and served alongside them and did some amazing work. Now you're pastoring the church that they led. This is awesome. So I asked Monica to just come up and greet greet you all, and uh, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, Monica, go for it. Well, I just want to say, whatever you're doing in God, don't get comfortable, because the minute you do, he'll change it. (laughs) I went there. I was helping in the church, kind of like I did here. I was helping in the recovery ministry. It was good. Circumstances happened in the Zimmerman's life where they almost lost their son, and they're still helping to care for him three years later, but they have left Guam. So now I'm pastor in the church, and someone else is leading the recovery. I'm not sure. I'm not doing much with the recovery, but I might be looking at possibilities of prison ministry. And so, but right now I am pastoring the church. It's a recovery church, basically, and it's a beautiful thing because you find people who are at the end of everything, and they have nowhere to go, nowhere to look. They have no hope. They can't forgive themselves. And yet they come into a place and they start finding a way to realize that Jesus loves them right where they're at. Wow. And, uh, and they is start this tied to, to anything there. in your past? Is this tied at all to anything in your past? Totally. <laughs> See, God has an amazing See, way of doing things. The funny thing is, is back in 2009, we graduated, what, 2005? Two or three or something. Something like that. And... Uh, had done a youth trip, missions trip with Pastor Jim, and he had even said, he goes, I could see you doing something like YWAM, something like Sandy Richardson. And I started looking into that, and then I found Mercy Ships, and I was going to look at that, and I started to fill out an application. Pastor Lee came back from Guam, and he looks at me one Sunday morning, and he goes, Monica, I found the perfect place for you. <laughs> I'm like, huh? And he tells me about it. I'm like, so you don't think I should do Mercy Ships? And he's like, I think you need to go to Guam and see what God says. (laughs) And so 13 months later, I ended up moving to Guam with a job transfer. I'm still at the post office, was originally looking to retire and work ministry full-time, but with the changes that have happened, I don't feel God's leading me that way. So I'm staying with the church and continuing from that direction. And uh, we'll see what God has next. But I had a past when the Zimmermans were asking Pastor Lee for someone to come help. He's, I've got the perfect person for you because I've got drug addiction in my past. My parents were alcoholics. My kids have been drug addicts. I'm familiar with every aspect of it. And so I'm able to minister to the parents of the drug addicts we work with. I'm able to minister to the children of the drug addicts and to the drug addicts. And he also knew my trouble with the law, and though he would often forget about it because he wouldn't see me that way anymore, he knew I had a checkered past, and it's a beautiful way in which God can redeem it. doesn't matter what's in your past. God will use it. Amen. Come on. You're amazing. Love you, too. So, Monica, would you please be available to anyone who may need some prayer in the realm that you just talked about, some help, some encouragement? Maybe, maybe you're struggling in some of the areas that she talked about, and I would just encourage you to come up and get prayer. Just get prayer. Believe God to, to do something in your life um, like he did in hers. Amen? Well, I want to welcome our live stream audience and all of you who are here, and um, it's an honor. If, you're, if it's your first time here, we are just so honored to have you, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. 
It's, it's an honor to have you here. I know it's not always easy to walk into an unfamiliar place with unfamiliar people, and we want you to feel loved, accepted, and that you belong. And we appreciate so much the live stream audience, and some people throughout the world are watching, and they faithfully watch, and we appreciate that so much. And um, we honor you as well. And may God touch you, even though you're not physically here with us. Although, if you're able to be physically here with us, we would love for you to join us as well. Um, so we've been in a series called Soul Care. And if you are a note taker in our app, you should download our app if you don't have it to your, to your smartphone, to your smart device, to your iPad, whatever. Uh, we, have, we have the notes in there for this message, all the scriptures, all the things you'll need to go back and reference. Um, and... So I, I would encourage you to check that out. Also, part of our live stream is, and we, we love to use um, technology to advance the gospel. So if you have Facebook, if you're a friend, of Face, on, a friend of Faith Chapel on Facebook, you can share this message, and it multiplies the number of people that will see it. And who knows whose life will, life will be touched by seeing a message like this? Because God is on the move, amen? And he uses any means possible to touch somebody, to get a hold of them, to, gra- to change their life. And so I'd encourage you to, to share it, um, share this message on Facebook, either at this moment in time or when you get home. But we've been in the series called Soul Care, and we've been talking about ways to find healing for our souls. It's John that wrote uh, in, in, the, in the epistle, First John, he's like, he, he said something like, I, I pray that you're you're doing well, and you're, you're doing well physically, and, you know, you're whole just as your soul prospers. And the reality is some of us are not prospering in our soul. The, the, the interesting thing is, you know, we could be soul sick. We could, we could be sick in our soul in, a, in the sense that we're not doing well. And as we kicked off the series, I dedicated this series to those who are struggling or have struggled with anxiety and depression. Because on the outside, you look at them and everything looks great. You would just never know that they're struggling, you know? But on the inside, there's turmoil, there's, there's, there's restlessness, there's hopelessness. And we want to go after that. It was the psalmist who wrote, why? Are you so downcast, oh my soul? In essence, he's saying, what in the world is wrong with me? There's something wrong. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's on the inside. I'm, I'm struggling on the inside. Why are you so downcast? And then he answers his own question. And this is what we've been going after. He says, put your hope in God. He, he's the answer. If, if your soul is downcast, if you're sick in soul, we've got to go after God. He is the only answer we have. And, and I'm, not trying to, I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to discount the medical community and, and medicines and things like that. I value them. I think there's, there's a place for that. But ultimately, we've got to find our hope in God. We, we've got to find our hope in God. And so this is what the psalmist concluded why am I soul sick? Why am I struggling this way? I've got I've to press into the God. I've got I've to find some hope so that my soul could be well. So we've been talking about soul care today. 
Um, we've got a new message. I found this passage that really just caught my attention. It gripped me. And I want to start off with this passage out of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is notoriously known for being written by the wisest men or one of the wisest men that walked the face of the earth. His name was Solomon. Uh, he had wisdom, so, such breadth of wisdom, like every area he was so wise in. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 10.7. It's part of a larger context, which I'll describe to you in just a minute. But he says this, I have even seen servants riding horseback like princes, and princes walking like servants. I've even seen servants riding horseback like princes, and princes walking like servants. And I looked at that, and I'm like, wow, that's, that seems to be describing a role reversal. Like the people that are supposed to be in one position are in another. And the, and the, and the other people that are supposed to be in one position are in another. And it spoke to me about identity. Specifically, the second part where it says, I've seen princes walking around like servants. I've seen, I've seen people who are, are supposed to be of high stature and prominence, of power, of importance and significance, walking around like servants. And there's nothing wrong in our world with servants. Don't, I'm not trying to minimize that. What, what he's saying is there's people that are supposed to be in one place, but they're not standing, they're not serving, they're not, they're not uh, doing they're not fulfilling what they were positioned for, what they were created for. And, and that began to speak to me because I feel like in the body of Christ, so many people really have no idea who they are. They really have no idea what God has done for them and how God desired to place them in a place of a prince. And we're walking around as a servant. And, and, and again, Jesus came as a servant. Don't get me, I'm not trying to... Uh, Minimize servanthood. We are all supposed to serve, but we've also called to be kings. We've also called to be priests. We've also been called to be princes and queens, right? Like, we, he placed us in a place of prominence so that we can serve. You understand? And so, so Solomon writes, I've seen this, and it's an intriguing statement. Intriguing. I've seen princes walking around like servants, like just clueless as to who they really are. And today I want to talk to you, uh, I've titled my message, Sonship Has Its Privileges. Sonship Has Its Privileges. In the realm of soul care, you know, part of really the struggle, part of not uh, being, walking in success and power and uh, who we are is tied to our identity. And my goal today is to help connect you in a greater way to the Father. Because the more we're connected to the Father, the more healing we receive for our souls. Our souls, our mind, will, and emotion. It's that part of you, inside of you, that no one can see. We can see the effects of it. We could tell if we watch and listen and are around somebody enough that someone's having some problems in their soul. Their mind will of the motions because ultimately it'll come out of their mouths. Ultimately, when someone's soul sick, it'll affect them physically. You know, their emotions will be uh, frazzled, you know. 
And, and we can see that. It's hard to see when you just walk by somebody, you know. But if you get around someone long enough, you can see what's going on in their lives. So sonship has its privilege. Now, privileges. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was known and called so many different things. He was called rabbi, teacher, prophet. He was asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? People were saying, you're Elijah, you're this, you're that. But you know what he referred to himself as the most in all of Scripture? A son. A son. Isn't that powerful? I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I'm a son. I'm a son. Now, I want to say something. When we talk about sonship, I'm going to be tripping over all my words if I have to clarify Every time I talk about being a child of God, if I have to clarify son and daughter, the Bible refers to it as sonship. It means children of God, okay? So sonship really has no gender in the context of what I'm saying or even in the Bible, right? Sonship really is about position and privilege. It's about who we've been made to be, who we've been called to be. And sometimes we struggle to walk in the confidence of sonship. Sometimes we struggle to realize that really God loves me. I matter to God. And, and so I want to just walk through um, some powerful stuff that I feel like God gave me. Um, because here, here's, here's a truth that you need to know. All that Jesus achieved has been made available to us. You know? So let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 15. There's a, there's a, a very, very familiar passage for anyone who's been in church for any part of time in their lives. It's, it's, it's a story about the prodigal son. It's commonly called the prodigal son or prodigal God or wayward son. And um, in this story, Jesus is... Is, is sharing a series of stories about lost things. First he goes over uh, the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and now he's talking about the lost son. And the story goes um, that, that there was these, this man that had two sons, and, and these two sons, out of, of these two sons, one of them, he, he wanted his inheritance early while his father was still alive so he could, he could just go do his thing, you know? And, and so he got his money, he got his inheritance, and he went off. And the Bible says that he was, he was caught up in wild living, and he, he exhausted everything that he received from his father. And finally, he found himself at the lowest of low. You know, he hit rock bottom. And at rock bottom, he thought, you know, I could, even the servants in my father's house are doing better than I'm doing because he longed to eat what the pigs near him were eating. He, he was starving. You know, I'll eat what the pigs are eating. But he couldn't. So he decided to go back to his father. His father, uh, you know, hunts him down on the road. Not hunts him down. Chases him down. Runs after him. Embraces him. Loves him. Restores him. Puts a robe on him. A ring on his finger. Uh, sandals on his feet. And he just restores him. He loves him. And his father is throwing this big party. This feast. And it's amazing. Everyone's celebrating that the son that was lost has come home. And then the Bible transitions at that point and it says meanwhile the older son 
was off in the field. And as he started coming home, he, he noticed that there was this big party going on. And he was off at work in this big party, and he asked the servants, what's happening? And, and the servant says, well, your brother's come home. Your father's throwing a feast, a celebration, because your, your brother has come home. And we'll pick, up, uh, we'll pick up from there in verse 28. It says this. The older brother, this is Luke 15, verse 28. It says, the older brother, after hearing that the father was throwing uh, this big party, the older brother became angry. And refused to go in. And I'm sharing you this story because we get a glimpse in this guy's life of a guy who doesn't really realize who he is. Even though he's a son biologically, he's not a son in the sense that he's benefiting from all that his father has made available to him. And so it says the older brother became angry. He refused to go in. He's throwing a hissy fit. He's pouting out in the field. So his father, which was totally uncustomary, it was not common for a father to go out to um, chase down a son in this sense that, um, and, and plead with him. It says he went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. That word slaving, you might want to circle that. Highlight it, star it. Sometimes in the church, we can get a mindset like this. Uh, a, a, a mindset of privilege. A mindset of, I've earned it. I deserve it. How in the world do you get that? I've been here slaving. I've been, I've been doing this. I did this, and I did this, and I've been here forever. You see how his heart, look at the condition of his heart. I've been slaving for you. I never disobeyed you. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, you know when you're, you're upset at your, your kids or your siblings or somebody, like I'll tell my wife, your son. <laughs> this is what he's doing. He's not acknowledging that that's his brother. This son of yours. When he returns, or who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you killed the fattened calf for him? You never even gave me, uh, you know, something to party with my, my friends. And you're throwing this party for this sinner, this, this horrible brother of mine, son of yours. Verse 31, my son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. Such a powerful response. I, I just love that. And in this story, the whole context is this. Jesus was being ridiculed by the Pharisees because he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. The sinners and tax collectors were representative of the younger brother, and the Pharisees were representative of this older brother, and the father represented the father, or Jesus in this case. And so what we see in this story is a mindset that we could develop, that could rob us of the benefits or the privileges of sonship. I mean, on the surface, this guy looked like the perfect son. He didn't take his father's inheritance. He was out working in the field. He was faithful. He was consistent. He didn't do anything wrong. But sometimes under pressure, the stuff that's inside of us comes out. 
You know, the reality of what's in our heart comes out. And, and what we see here in this guy is that he believed the father was, hold, was withholding something from him. He believed that the father had something good for him that he didn't have the opportunity to access. He didn't have access to. He didn't have the benefit of receiving even though he did everything right in his mind. So he believed that the father was holding something from him. And uh, what I see in this story is that even though he never left this older brother, even though he stayed, even though he was faithful, he didn't really have a good relationship with the father. You know? He didn't really have a good relationship with the father. And I brought up that context of Jesus referring to himself as a son for one very specific reason. Son carries the idea of relationship. Being a son carries the idea of relationship. You know, he could have waltzed around the earth, Jesus. I'm Messiah, bow down to me. I'm the promised one. Look at all these these scriptures that point to me. You know, I'm a prophet. I'm powerful. No, he came humbly and he said, you know what? You want to refer to me, the most, most commonly referred to thing is, you want to refer to me as something, refer to me as a son. Because the thing that matters most to me is my relationship with my father. My relationship with my father. Titles. Titles didn't seem to be a high value to him. The relationship to me seems to take a precedent when Jesus walked the earth. I'm a son. That's powerful to me. I, I, I hope that just sort of sinks into you a little bit. I'm a son. But what this, this, this brother, this older brother gets back to is, you know, and, and how I could summarize my thoughts about him is, we can be in the Father's house, and yet our lives can remain unchanged by a loving Father. We could have the heart of a Pharisee. We could have the heart of this older brother. We could do all the right things. We're here on time. We serve all the time. We're do, we don't miss church. We smile when we're supposed to smile. We say what we're supposed to say. And we do everything right. And yet we can miss the key thing. And that is this depth of relationship that God so much longs to have with all of us. Do you see that in this guy's life? I mean, on the outward appearance, he seemed... He seemed to be perfect, but his problem was he didn't realize who he was. He was a son, and that was the most important thing. He didn't have, at least the way I interpret it, a strong relationship with his father. And I want to say to you this, that a very important foundation in every believer's life is to understand where they fit into the family of God. To understand their position, because when we don't understand our position, we miss out on the privileges. When we don't really understand what God has made accessible to us, you know, it's almost like, I'm going to just sort of make something up on the fly. It's almost like we're visiting a mansion, but we could only stay in the, the, small, uh, the small room where you take your shoes off where you hang your coat. The whole mansion's accessible to us, and we have the rights to 
to use it, to, to, to enjoy it, to go to the game room and the pool and the, the, the lounge and all this stuff. But we stay right in this one place because we don't realize that it's all ours anyway. God's made it available to us anyway. Sonship has its privileges. Now, when we don't realize who we are, we can be riddled with things that sort of, actually, it's just, you can see it in people's lives. Let me put it this way. When we don't realize who we are, we can be riddled with things or communicate indirectly, insecurity, um, feelings of rejection, a need for approval all the time. These are sort of signs that we don't, we don't realize who we are. Also, what even comes out of the story is this, that you have to earn. You have to earn acceptance from the Father. You, you, you have to be good enough. You have to achieve enough. You have to do and say all the right things, and you've earned, when you've earned it, you deserve it. And thankfully, at least for me, I can't speak for you, but thankfully, that's not the way God works. That we don't have to earn it. That he, already, he sent his son to earn it. He sent his son to pay the price for, for sonship. And so um, this way of thinking is often referred to as an orphan spirit. Now, when you think of the word orphan, an orphan is typically, uh, we, can, we think in our minds, a child without parents. Someone without, someone lacking something. And you'll hear this, and you'll even see this language used in the scriptures that, um, that there's, there's, there's a mindset or a thinking or an ability to be in the realm of an orphan when we don't fully walk into or step into what God's made available to us. I don't want to be an orphan when God has called me to be a son. I want to see us step into and live out in our lives the greatness that God has made accessible to us. The greatness that God has made available to us. I want to see us all, everyone in this room, realize that God has done amazing, amazing things for us. Amen? And so um, I brought up that, that concept of an orphan spirit because an orphan thinks the exact opposite of how a son thinks. The exact opposite. It's, it's, not, it's not how God uh, wants us to think. He wants us to know that we belong, that we're accepted. And so let me, let me just sort of dig down a little bit as it relates to um, how, how an orphan mindset works. Because I, I think I've established Lord, uh, sort of like the baseline that, that the, the Father wants a relationship with us, right? He, he wants to be, he desires to be in relationship with us. But some of us walk around thinking, you know, he, he doesn't want me. He, I, I'm not really loved. Now that person over there, they're good enough. They, they're doing the right things. They're, they're, you know, they're faithful. But God, you know, in reality, he, he doesn't want me. He, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. That's an orphan spirit. That's, that's the thinking of an orphan. Or maybe you think, well, I'm a nobody. Let me ask you a question. Who told you that? Who told you you're a nobody? Did God tell you that? Do you, do you find that anywhere in the scriptures? 
Is, God, is God's voice portraying to you you're a nobody? That you don't matter? I don't think so. I don't think you, you can find anywhere that proves that. Let me tell you something emphatically. He knows everything about you, and he's still in hot pursuit of you. He knows your frailties, your weaknesses. You know, he, he knows all about you. He knows your past. He, he knows the things you've done. He knows the choices you've made. And he's still in hot pursuit of you. And he wants you to realize that you're so valuable to him. See, an orphan will think that I, I just don't matter. Let me share with you in John one twelve what Jesus spoke. I think Jesus spoke this. I'd have to look it up to be 100% accurate. Can someone help me with that, please? Just John 1.12. It says this, Yet to all who did receive him, let's just put it this way, the Holy Spirit spoke this. And that's, that's 100% accurate. Yet to all who did receive him, that is Jesus Christ, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. Let me tell you something. If you believe the lie that, that, uh, that you don't matter, that, that you're a nobody, that God, God's not receiving you, l- let me just tell you something about that verse alone. That was God's idea, you know? It was never your idea to become a child of God or to try and uh, attain to becoming a child. It was his idea. It was his idea. He sent his son. He wants to make People who are, are, are far off from him, he wants to bring them into his family to be children. That's his idea. It, you had nothing to do with it. And so it was him that said, all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be given the right to become a child of God. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So, um, you know, many, many others, you know, we love God, but we don't feel right about our relationship with him. When things are going good, when we're making good choices, when we're doing good things, uh, typically things are okay. But you know, when we slip up, when we mess up, when we say the wrong thing, when we make a mistake, we feel like we need to run from God. I'm talking about the thinking of an orphan, okay? I'm talking about the thinking of an orphan. We feel like God, after we make these mistakes, we feel like God has distanced himself. We feel like there's this big barrier between us and heaven, like this, this glass ceiling we can't get through. We can't, he doesn't hear our prayers. We don't hear his voice. He's upset with us. We feel the scowl from heaven. You know, anyone there? It, it, it carries the shade of orphan thinking. I'm trying to help everyone in this room today. It carries the shade of orphan thinking. And we get to the place where we feel like we're starting at ground zero and we must prove ourselves all over again. Like we got to get things right before we come back to God. And those are all lies of the enemy. It's, 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 it can come from our upbringing. You know, when we've experienced rejection... We start to live this life through the the filter, through the lens of rejection. You know? We think even 
you know, uh, let me tell you something. People walk into church. I commend you if this is your first time here or if, you've, if it was a struggle for you to walk in the doors of this place sometime in the past. Because people who, who carry this orphan thinking, let me tell you something. The th- you, you carry the idea no matter where you go, walking into churches, walking into places, social areas, they're not going to like me. This is what you think. This is what people think. They're not going to like me. They're not going to accept me. I'm going to be invisible. You know, and, and we fall into this, this trap of believing so many lies. Why do you think at the end of worship we take time, extended time, to greet one another? Can I tell you? I don't think I've ever shared this before. I thought about this. This is so significant because we want people to look one another in the eye. We want them to greet them, greet one another. We want them to say, you know, something like, hey, it's nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. We want to break down those walls and those lies related to they're not going to like me. We want people to feel accepted. Do you know that, I mean, literally we could have that same time out in the atrium after service, right? But you know people who already feel like they're not going to be liked, you'll never have a chance to run into them out there. They'll be gone before the last amen. And so we want you to look people in the eye. I challenge you, if this is your church, I want you to seek out people who you, you, it, to you it seems like it's their first time. And you could say something like, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever met you before. Is this, you know, have you been here before? No, it's my first time. Or, yeah, I've come here a couple times. Well, listen, I just want to say, I am so glad you're here. You are welcome here. I am so glad that you chose to come and be with us today. We, we've got to begin to dispel the lies. We can't continue to live in insecurities. God is raising us up as sons and daughters to be confident in who we are. Do you know that reaching out to somebody can be such a big breakthrough in their lives? This may seem like so elementary, but let me tell you something. People struggle. People struggle in this world that we live in. It's a hard place to be. And it's so important that we we let people know that they matter and that they're valuable. Can I say something that may be obvious, like blatantly obvious to every one of you, that there's people in this room that aren't really healthy and whole. Did you know that? You're probably responding without moving your mouth, yeah, that's me, right? And it's okay. It's okay. But I want to say that there's people in this place that could use an arm around them. You know, you have, you have no idea what an arm around them or a listening ear would do. Instead of, instead of um, you know, a frown, they could use a smile. You know, instead of more rejection that they've probably been used to all their lives, they can use a hug, you know. And I'm talking appropriate, all right? I'm not talking about guys. Don't be macking on the girls trying to, <laughs> pastor told me to come hug you. I'm talking about, listen to me, people are broken and they need love. And that's why, you know, some people think it's no big deal if I come every once in a while to church. You never know how God's going to use you to touch a life. And you never know how God's going to use a life to, to touch you. 
It matters. It matters. I, I need to move on, but um, there's this, this amazing phrase that Jesus said in John 14. It says this, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you without, without someone in your life that cares about you. I'm not going to leave you without some, some parental or someone uh, to help lead your life and influence you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you without. You're not going to be abandoned with no one in your life. This is what Jesus said. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. In, in this, in this uh, part of the scripture, he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit. But God cares about people who walk around with an orphan spirit. I'm telling you right now. He, he wants us to step into the realm of sonship. So here's um, very quickly in Romans chapter 8. I could have used Galatians 4. You might want to look that up too. Galatians 4 or jot that down in your notes. It's almost an identical passage. Romans 8.15, it says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. You see, by the spirit of God, through, through the work of Jesus Christ, the spirit comes and lives in us to bring us to a place of being sons and daughters of God. You know, he, he repositions us. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. There's that relational thing again. Jesus was the first one to use that word Abba. It means, carries the idea of daddy in the garden. And he's saying, I want you to have that same relationship with my father. Verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You talk about being elevated we're not, we're, we're not talking about, hey, you're some menial, menial servant in God's kingdom. No, he, he said co-heirs, like co-equal. Do you, do you know what God has done for us? He raised us with Christ. He seated us at the right hand of God, and he made us an heir of God. You know, having a father in heaven does two key things for us. Very similarly on earth, a, a father leaves two key things to their children. One is identity, and two is inheritance. Identity and inheritance. And God, you know, God really cares about how we see ourselves and who we really become. You know, I heard one guy say, he was a speaker, he said, do you want to see God? You want to know what God looks like? Look in the mirror, because God looks like me. And God looks like you. We've been made in his image, and his likeness. That's where our identity comes from, our Father. Do you understand that? Jesus said it this way. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he represents his Father. We represent our Father in heaven likewise. You know, in our world, our world is chaotic right now. And one of the major reasons that it's chaotic is because of lack of understanding of our father there's fathers not passing down identity anymore you know either they're absent through divorce or they're present but they're absent in parenting or maybe they just never received identity from their father so they don't know what to do 
And we're raising this fatherless generation. Brokenness everywhere. And so we could go to the streets. We could join games. Games that get accepted. We could get love elsewhere. It's just a world of people that don't know who they are. And God's saying, I want my, I want my church to realize that they're sons and daughters. I've positioned them in my kingdom. The inheritance is this. We are heirs. That's a great, that's a great word in our culture. I'm an heir. I'm an heir. I, I, I receive what's being passed down to me from some family or friend. I'm an heir. You, do you know you've been positioned? You have the same position as Christ. That's, that's so powerful. That's why the father in that prodigal son story says, everything I have is yours. The son didn't realize it. He's like, I couldn't even have a goat to party with my friends. He's like, look at this. Look at this vast kingdom of ours. It's all yours. It's all yours. I'm going to just finish with one one thought. You know, there's this thing called metamorphosis where a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. But if you didn't know about it, if you didn't get taught that in elementary school, and I started walking around with this ugly little caterpillar, and I said, one day it's going to be like this beautiful butterfly. It'd be easy to conclude, no way. That's impossible. It's impossible. There's no way this ugly little caterpillar, it doesn't even look anything like it. It's, saying this, it's like saying this mouse is going to turn into a horse someday. You know, there's, it's just totally, it just doesn't make any, any sense whatsoever. And that is, that is what God, when we, when we think of metamorphosis or this extreme, impossible change, God can take an orphan and make them a son or daughter. He says it this way. He says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. That means, he says, the old is gone, the new has come. I'm going to change you so utterly, completely. Your life is going to be so vastly different, you're not even going to be able to recognize it. I've got so many good things for you. I'm elevating you. I'm bringing you to a new place. You belong. You matter. You're important. I've demonstrated my love for you. And yet we walk around. Uh, he, won't even, he won't even give me nothing. He, he don't care about me. He don't love me. I don't matter to anyone. He's trying to say, can't you see? You're my precious child. You're a son. You're a daughter. And you matter to me. Our lives could be totally different if we walked in the reality that we're princes and princesses as opposed to servants. Solomon had it right. He said, I've seen 
servants riding on horseback, and I've seen princes walking like servants. We don't have to walk like servants anymore. We could be positioned and realizing all that God has done for us as sons and daughters. That is healing to our soul. Amen? That's healing to our soul. It changes the game totally and completely. That we have a loving Father that's able to do anything beyond our wildest imaginations. He says it in Ephesians, exceedingly abundantly. Some of us would just be happy with the abundantly. But he's like, I got more than abundantly. Way more than abundantly. Beyond all you can ask or imagine. He's a good father. Let's begin to step into sonship. Amen? Would you stand to your feet? I want to lead us in a prayer. I want to lead us in a prayer. The Bible is so powerful when it talks about repentance. And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer of repenting about settling for something that God has never intended us to settle for. We're we're moving forward. We're going to new levels. It's a new place that God has taken us. Amen? Let's pray together. I just want to ask you to repeat after me. Father, I come before you today and I repent for not knowing you the way I should. I repent for taking our relationship lightly. I now realize, God, that you've called me to be your son or daughter. And I'm going to choose to rise to what you called me to be. To be who you called me to be. To think the way you called me to think. And live the way you called me to live. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, every day that you would help me to see myself as God's child. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're God's kids. This is amazing. This is amazing. All right, we have a we have a ministry team. I'd like to invite them up. If you're here and you need prayer for any reason, we see God move every single week. I didn't like to invite them up. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you please come talk to one of us, our ministry team, myself, my wife. We'd love to talk to you about him. Otherwise, have a great Sunday. If you could kindly take conversations out into